Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Joseph Fidel. And we have an amazing show for you today. We're in the studio with Dr. Rick Oliver. Rick, it's great having you in the studio. Well, thank you, Nate. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Oliver has a Ph.D. in evolutionary biology, along with a master's degree in geology. And would you believe it, he actually believes the scientific evidence leads more to a creator than it does to evolution, something that we've talked about on this show. In fact, we just talked about it last week. And it's something that we're excited to talk about again this week with Dr. Oliver himself. So, Dr. Oliver, you went through the same secular science education that a lot of people have been through that are proponents of evolution. And somehow you came to a different perspective. Were you just trying to support a perspective that you already had? Not at all. If you'd asked me prior to going into high school... Prior to turning 14, that was the time that that hormone kicks in that gives you all wisdom, and I got it. If you'd asked me at that point if I was a Christian, I would have said yes, because I grew up in a Southern Baptist household back in the hills of Kentucky, and I thought to be a Christian meant you were born in America, you prayed before meals, and you had to go to church. That was it. But then once I got into high school, my life changed. In fact, the very first day, my first class in high school. I actually took biology first period when my friends were taking study hall, but I did it for two reasons. I'd been taught to respect my elders, and the teacher was also the freshman football coach. So here, to me, this guy was God. Here he was, a tall, good-looking athlete and a great scholar from Pepperdine University. And uh, that first morning, he told me, or he asked the class a question that just stumped me. He said, before we get started, and remember now, this is in the early 60s. I was, it was 1962. I graduated in 65. And he said, are there any Christians in this class? And I mean, I remember my stomach doing flip-flops saying, what does this have to do with a biology class in high school? And several hands went up, and I remember I looked around the room. I figured, well, I'm one of those. So I raised my hand, and then he smiles, and he says, I want to apologize to those of you who just raised your hand and said you're a Christian. He says, because by the time the semester's over, you won't be. I was confused. I was angry. I was thinking, had my mother, my grandmother, had they been lying to me? And so he then immediately handed out our textbooks, and he starts telling us about Darwin and this, how we evolved from this warm little pond, and that there was no need for a God. And so by the time the day was over, I wasn't a Christian in my mind, and I'd made up my mind that science had the answers, and I went home and told my mother that this is a myth. You know, science has the answer. And so basically what I did is I made a conscious choice to put my faith in man's word, not God's word. And I worshipped at the altar of science. We've actually heard professors tell students similar things. We've heard of professors that have said, if you are a Christian in this class, you cannot maintain your faith and pass the class. The reality is sometimes there is this dogma in academia hmm. where if you don't toe the academic line, you will be ostracized. And so, Dr. Oliver, as you pursued your scientific path, what was your evolution, so to say, <laughs> from that day forward? 
Well, I, I like to tell people, Nate, you know, my PhD is in evolutionary biology, and I chose the school, honestly, because it didn't just say biology on it. You know, some schools, it just says, you know, life science, biology, but it says evolutionary biology, and then I am, had an emphasis in herpetology. I really believe in evolution. I know it works. I've made it work. I, you know, I've evolved into the creationist I am today. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit about your perspective while you were in college and while you were doing your PhD work and shortly after that. You've told me a little bit about that, so why don't you tell our audience uh, about your quote-unquote atheism? I guess I have one of those type A personalities, and when I take on a task or if I believe in something, I I become obsessed with it, and, and I would say that that's pretty much what happened. I became obsessed with being right. Uh, I wanted to prove that I was right. I knew more than my parents. And so I, I really excelled. I, I was a science freak from the get-go, and I couldn't decide which ology I liked best, so that's why I have the geology and biology and all the different ologies. But I really became obsessive. And so I have, I am currently involved in several research projects. I, I was at Mount St. Helens in 1980 when it erupted. I've been down the Grand Canyon working on the Nautiloid Research Project. I was on the Hansen Research Project up in Wyoming. I found the only pachycephalosaurus skull ever found up there. But I got to the point where I honestly would give lower grades to some of my students just because they were Christians, they irritated me. Or if they dared to challenge me in my classroom, uh, I annihilated them. I would literally pat them on the head and say, oh, you poor little ignorant Christian, get back to your desk. <laughs> and uh, it didn't Joseph, take a lot of that. Did you used to do that? <laughs> <laughs> did, yeah, actually. Uh, I used to debate and argue and try to crush every Christian that I came across and show them why their faith was so wrong. So I'm, I'm in the studio with two former atheists. Okay, Dr. <laughs> Oliver, keep going. And, you know, the, I look back now, and obviously hindsight's just wonderful, but I see how, just how sinister the deception is. And I'll tell you, I didn't set out with some premeditated desire to deceive my students. I felt it was my duty as a scientist, as an educator, to protect them from that myth. And I felt that I had somehow failed if they didn't come around to my belief. Again, terms or you know, labels are interesting because I never considered myself an atheist. I considered myself an anti-Christian because an atheist to me was just way too passive. They just didn't know what they believed. And I knew exactly what I believed, and I was out to make sure that everybody else believed that. Growing up in Southern California, during the uh, the time that we lived there, there was this this movement back in the late 60s, early 70s. They called it the Jesus Movement, all the Jesus people. And there was this big church in Southern California that uh, actually started in a tent and just became the place for all of these, as far as I was concerned, these dropouts, uh, you know, drug hippies, and they would they needed that crutch. And they would have these huge baptisms down in this cove in Corona Del Mar, which is Newport Beach, and my friends and I would sneak up on the bluff and we'd throw water balloons at the Jesus freaks, as we called them, and I kept trying to hit the bald guy that was baptizing everybody, which was Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, and I know God has a sense of humor because 
I was baptized in that same cove by Chuck, and he married my wife and I, and I worked for him. So God has a way of getting your attention. <laughs> All right. So back to the evidence. As you were a professor and you were grading students that disagreed with your evolutionary perspective, you're grading them poorly because of their beliefs. And as you were, from what it sounds, militantly <laughs> proposing evolutionary theory, how did you come to the perspective you're at now? You know, I jokingly say I've evolved into the creations that I am today, but I, I really believe there's something to that because, you know, the word evolution just means change. It's when we put micro and macro in front of it that we get into trouble. But over a period of time, the more research I did, and, that, and that's, again, one of the things, I, I was obsessive. Things started to, um, there were weaknesses. Every time I looked in the microscope at a simple single-celled organism, I would literally have to step back, take a breath, and convince myself that what I was looking at was random. It wasn't designed because it looked so perfectly designed. And so things started to come apart. And again, it was one month after my 40th birthday that I finally realized there was a God and I wasn't him. And that was a big step. But the biology had started, there, there were a lot of weaknesses. But in the in 1980, Mount St. Helens, uh, the volcano up in Washington State, erupted. And I was there along with scientists from all around the world. And, and we observed geologic catastrophism. I saw things that I thought took millions or hundreds of thousands of years occurring rapidly. Uh, we saw there's a canyon up there that's been labeled the Little Grand Canyon. It's 140th the scale. It's 150 feet deep, a quarter mile wide, and, and 15 miles long through solid bedrock in a matter of just days and hours. And uh, I saw coalification, fossilization, things happening in a in a rather uh, rapid pace. Um, the biologic recovery was absolutely phenomenal. And so I saw these things happening. So now my geology as well as the biology starting to come apart. So all of this, I think, combined with the fact that I had a very close friend who continuously witnessed to me in a very non-threatening way, just by his lifestyle. He didn't get in my face. He didn't berate me or judge me. And so I started questioning. And, and then in 1987, in July of 1987, I made the commitment to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, I was just on fire. But I found that there's more to it, the relationship. I, I needed to put my own study time into God's Word instead of sitting back letting people tell me what was there. And I actually, uh, after about six months, I finally, uh, I crumbled. I ended up throwing the Bible away. My sister gave me a brand new King James Bible with a leather cover and a dove on it. You know, I carried it everywhere. I just never opened it. I just couldn't come to grips with Genesis. And I thought to be a Christian and a scientist doesn't work because to me, Christians had to check their brains at the door because, you know, science had proven everything. And so I, I really um, ended up crumbling and I ended up back in the world. And I was absolutely miserable. And by the way, I went back and found that Bible that I threw. It was a little waterlogged, but it still works. So talking about the evidence, we like to say that an open mind, an honest heart, a humble disposition, and a diligent search always leads to Jesus. And as I think about my own journey. I grew up a believer. I grew up a Christian, but I struggle with tremendous amount of doubt. 
and being an analytical, scientific-minded person, I had to find out for myself. So actually, when I was a teenager, in my free time for fun, I read the entire Campbell's third edition biology textbook and took extensive notes on it, notebook after notebook after notebook. And I did that just because I was passionate about knowing what was true. And I know that we've all been through that process, and that process led me to faith in Christ and to the scientific reality that this world and the universe are the product of an intelligent designer that the Bible tells us is Jesus himself. So what about you, Rick? What is the evidence that is compelling when you think about the evidence that leads you to faith? Well, I think the the, the final straw, Nate, was, you know, I, as I said earlier, I loved ologies. I, I couldn't decide which ology I liked best, and, you know, ology just means the study of. But when we add math to our ology, we find out how well our ologies are doing. <laughs> and Statistics. one of the things that in my lifetime, you know, when I was in high school, we didn't have computers and cell phones and all this sort of thing. And over a period of time, from the 60s, in 1962, when I was in high school, I was, I remember in science, we were told that the odds of just one random act of natural selection and mutation resulting in a, a life form was 10 to the 50th power. Well, that's a huge number. But it's just anybody can write that number. It's a number with 50 zeros. But then along came the computer age and the technology, and we were able to do mathematical equations that some of the great mathematicians like Einstein and Bohr and Planck and these guys, they couldn't even imagine. We, you know, we find new prime numbers. And so then when the the laws of probability were factored in using these massive computers, that number with 50 zeros, well, it didn't just jump to the 100 zero. It jumped to a number with 40 thousand zeros that is just mind-boggling and then it got even more sophisticated and the latest uh, number that was relayed to me by some mathematician friends of mine was that the odds of of life existing the way it is is 10 to 10 to the 123rd power now if you think about that it's not 10 to the 120 10 to 10 to the 123rd power and if you're computer illiterate, do that on your computer, and it comes out to this big sideways eight. Infinity. Infinity. So in the face of that, I had to come to grips with the fact that it is my choice, and it's a choice. You have the right to choose not to believe in God. And I won't argue with you. I'll feel sorry for you. I'll pray for you. But I can't argue with you. But if you tell me you choose not to believe in God because of all the evidence, now I'll get in your face. Because we are talking here about two faith-based religions. And that's what it boiled down to. I had great faith in man's word. Today, my prayers this morning was, God, give me as much faith in your word as I had in man's word. And that's what it boiled down to. And for me, I had to come, because of my thick head, I had to come to grips with the fact that if... The Bible isn't 100% true, then uh, who are you to get in my face with John 3.16? You know, if you tell me Genesis is allegorical or this or that, who are you to tell me which parts are true and which aren't? So I had to come to grips with the fact that it had to all be true or none of it was. I was able to do that not that many years ago that I came to, to that conclusion. It was like a big weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And, and it dawned on me, you know, I don't have to prove anything. God doesn't need me or any scientist to prove his word. 
And he says it's by faith we will know, not by evidence anyway. But he doesn't say blind faith. Absolutely. And he gives us plenty of evidence. We call that a confident step of faith, not a leap of faith. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM here in Durango. You can also listen online at KDUR.org. And Dr. Oliver, it's exciting hearing that statistics were one of the motivating factors in your journey to faith because I always find it interesting how in debate or in conversation, when I bring up these odds with my atheist friends or with anybody I happen to be talking to, they use a Dawkins trick, which is to say anything's possible in a plurality of universes. We talked about this on our show on the Big Bang. We talked about atheist tricks to get out of statistics and how they come up with the multiverse theory, which coincidentally is not even empirically verifiable. There's no way that science would have anything to say about universes outside of our universe, even if they did exist. And it creates a bigger problem for the atheist as soon as they mention it. But when you see renowned scientists using such silly tricks to get around statistics, that always seems to me like a lack of scientific integrity. And when I took science classes in chemistry, for example, if I didn't respect the statistics, I lost. <laughs> for every significant figure I got off, that was five points marked off. There was no disrespect for statistics. So it's exciting to hear that. There's something I, I think a lot of my friends, and, uh, and, I, and I call it, it's a, it's a knowledge filter. And... Um, you know, we tend to filter out things that don't fit our preconceived philosophical worldview. If you go against the, the, the grain, uh, you're in jeopardy of losing your fellowship, your, your job. You, you know, it's, it's really sad how, uh, the very thing that supposedly makes science, uh, strong peer review and accountability is sometimes overlooked and, and, Bypassed when it uh, deals with uh, with this preconceived notion of this Darwinian uniformitarian evolution. Going back to your time in college, you weren't just an atheist, but you were a Christian hater, so to say, and you went on to achieve some great heights in the scientific realm, especially for the naturalist scientific establishment. You were well respected by the peer group that would consist of people like Dawkins, I guess, <laughs> atheists that would say, well done for following the science where it leads. And then you realized, wait, the science doesn't really lead there. The science leads to creation. So tell me a little bit about some of the science for creation. Well, the, you know, in 1976, the National Academy of Science adopted a resolution. And that resolution was just just what you just said. It was that scientists should be allowed to follow their research, the evidence, wherever it lead, without fear of retaliation. Now, that's in, in, in writing, but it's tried finding that. It's hard to dig that up. It was a resolution that was adopted because in the 70s, especially around 1976 with the computers and things, we were so sure at that time that we were going to find that final nail to drive into the coffin to shut those Christians up <laughs> that we were actually afraid that they might interfere with our research in the science and so we adopted that resolution or the National Academy of Science. Unfortunately it's been kind of 
shoved into the background because we do not allow the scientific community to follow that research wherever it leads. And, uh, I mean, I could name numerous examples in of people that have been, you know, their, their research has come to a screeching halt when it contradicts the accepted mindset. Follow the dollars. I think uh, people uh, big time. can only research as far as they get funded. And if your findings are different than those that are funding want you to find, then no more funding. Yeah, no more funding at all. Well, coming from a scientific background myself, my degree is in chemistry, and loving science, it is refreshing to see someone that is willing to follow the science wherever it leads without fear of repercussion or reprisal and without fear of losing their job. And then fundamentally to trust that because of that step of integrity, things are going to be a lot better than if we just keep pretending like the evidence points one direction or another. As we conclude the show today, Dr. Oliver, I'd love to give you an opportunity to talk to our audience about Jesus. We've talked a little bit about the evidence, and we've talked a little bit about your journey. But first and foremost, what about Jesus? That is the core of our life. Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God. And that's why I find it so hard to understand uh, even in the Christian community sometimes when Jesus is kind of watered down and Jesus is very clear in saying, I am the way. And the way is not broad. It's not wide. It is narrow. And we need to understand that is the Son is the only way to the Father. And if we take Jesus out of the picture or water it down, then we are basically taking the foundation out from under uh, our very belief. And that's what I did as a secular scientist teacher. I shot right for the foundation of my students. And I never shied away from discussions or arguments with them in the class. But I'll tell you a sad thing. In all the years, I never compromised when arguing or discussing with my Christian students. But they always did. And I knew they would. See, if I never allowed their God into my science. But they always allowed my science into their God. And that's the trap. And I have people say, well, couldn't God have used evolution? Well, of course God could. God can do whatever he wants. But sin, God can't sin. But, you know, the question should be, did God use evolution? Then we can go to the scripture and he tells us no. He says, we are created in his image. So I had to come to that conclusion Thanks, Dr. Oliver, for coming in and uh, talking to us. I am actually I'm getting my degree in um, environmental and organismal biology, and I have a minor in philosophy. You know, I'm really empirical-minded also, and uh, I love to think and pull things apart. And I actually uh, was a very adamant atheist. Uh, I said before, I used to debate and try to argue with every Christian that I came across, uh, my family, friends, whoever would give me the time to argue. I actually wanted to be a biology professor, so that way I could save the world from this scourge of religion and save it with uh, science. But, you know, I started realizing that I had this huge bias towards science. I never actually had read the Bible. And so I figured, well, hey, let me let me get acquainted with what I'm trying to destroy here so then I could have better evidence to use against them. But a strange thing happened as I started reading the Bible. A lot of things came out that I never realized. There's so much wisdom within the Bible and so much truth it seemed like Jesus was just speaking to me. 
So I got a hold of Nate here, actually, when I started going to Fort Lewis College. And uh, Nate helped me grow in my faith uh, immensely. He gave me a lot of books and just helped me think critically and question my own beliefs. That was something I never did. You know, I questioned everyone else's beliefs, but I never questioned mine. Something important about being a skeptic is you should be skeptical of your skepticism. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, just through a lot of reading and thinking and talking with other people who are a lot smarter than I was, I came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was, in fact, God. Uh, and he was the savior. Uh, Dr. Alba, I, re I really liked how you said, you know, Jesus is the foundation. He is the savior because without him, we can't get to the father. And, uh, you know, I'd like to just tell our audience why that's so. I mean, we are a fallen people. We, we all sin and our sin is very selfish and it separates us from God. God being a perfect being cannot be in our presence when we're unperfect. Jesus Christ came to bridge our way back to God in doing that. He lived the perfect life. Uh, that we could never live and died the death that we should have died in order that we might be connected back to God. I actually believed in God for quite a while before I became a Christian, and it's not as simple as saying, yeah, God exists. There's this actual thing you need to do. You need to accept the grace that Jesus offers you. I mean, he, he's beaten death, and he's provided us with salvation, but it doesn't do us any good if we don't accept it. It's as simple as acknowledging that and praying, and praying is just talking to God and asking God, to come into your life and to help you be the person that he made you to be. God has a wonderful plan for our lives, and if we just let him come into our lives, he will do wonderful things in our lives. And uh, just tell him that you want to accept the, the grace that he has given us, the freedom from our sin, and the salvation that he has provided through dying on the cross for us. I really hope that if you haven't taken that step, you'll get a chance, this morning even, to talk to God and to ask him to forgive you and to come into your life and to make you the kind of person he wants you to be. And, you know, that was a, a major step uh, for me, even as late as it was in life. At 40 years old, it was hard to admit that I was a sinner. I thought I was a nice person, a good person, and I treated people fairly. And after I became a Christian, after I accepted Christ, grace is so wonderful. It's so amazing. It's I'm just glad I don't get what I really deserve. And... I chose, I made a conscious decision not to believe in God because I didn't want to believe in God. Because I, my lifestyle, I didn't, I certainly didn't want there to be a God because I didn't want to be accountable to God and I didn't want to share the glory with God. And so that really is one of the things that I find, especially with my friends in the, in the world of academia, I find a lot of, um, of people are intellectualizing themselves right out of the kingdom. As Joseph said, you need to accept that yourself. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior and make that commitment. And it's a relationship between you and the Savior. You know, you're not going to get to heaven on your mother's religion or on my science. It's by your accepting of Jesus. Absolutely. Well, it's been a phenomenal show. It's been exciting having you in the studio with us, Dr. Oliver. Where could people find more about you and all you're doing? Well, we, um, I'm actually um, spending a lot more time on the road than I had ever anticipated. You know, God's plans and my plans, I had it all worked out. I told God how it was going to work. But uh, you can find us on, uh, on the web at www.confoundthewise.org. And we have our, our calendar, and, and we have a little newsletter that comes out and, and talks about where, uh, where we're going to be. And uh, we really depend on the prayers of people to keep us going. 
if you just think about it, maybe put our uh, website on on your computer so that when you you, when you go by, you can just pray for us when you think of it. Confoundthewise.org. So check them out this morning, confoundthewise.org. You can also get all of our shows archived at eternityimpact.blogspot.com. That's eternityimpact.blogspot.com, and we have a lot of shows on this topic and similar topics. Well, I'd like to invite you to connect this week. Connect meets in the Student Life Center in room 119. We meet at 730. This week we're going to be having free pizza and just a lot of fun hanging out. It'll be really laid back and a lot of fun. So join us for a time of free pizza and hanging out at the Student Life Center at 7.30 p.m. in room 119. I'd also like to invite you to Calvary Chapel, which is the church that Rick Oliver is associated with. They meet at the Gaslight Theater at 9.30 a.m. this morning. I hope you'll give them a shot. Finally, thank you so much to First Baptist, to Jeff Dobish and Gary Harple for bringing Rick Oliver to town. Thank you guys so much for all you did to make this possible. Remember... An open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope that you'd find him today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next week.